The Start. On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, or as far as Mackling is concerned, Greg, should we be calling you this morning Nostradamus? (laughs) I don't know about that, but uh, listen, last night... I got to stop saying that. Listen, uh, last night, Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun was chastising the Winnipeg Jets for basically taking their foot off the gas after building a 4 nothing lead against the Canadians. The Canadians then stormed back to tie it at four. And I suggested it was just part of their, part of their strategy. They were uncomfortable with a four-goal lead and, you know, that they would you know, essentially feel uncomfortable leading the game eight to four, which is where the game ended up. So I don't know if it was Nostradamus-like or prophetic at all, but I I certainly did talk about an 8-4 final score in one of my tweets last night, and my hockey tweets seldom go anywhere close to that. In fact, usually, Loren, I end up jinxing the Jets, which is why I stay silent typically through most games. Well, I, quite frankly, after... 17th goal or whatever it was. I can't remember in the first period. It was 4 nothing, And then it became 4-3, I think, before the end of the first. And I, I, the TV stayed on and the kids and my husband continued to watch. And I was like, I'm going to bed. This is starting to feel like this celebration is going to turn nasty in a little bit. Well, we came away with the win. And of course, I think like so many Manitobans, Brett, I don't know about you, but I really only turned on that TV for one thing last night. It was great to watch the game, sure. But I, I tuned in for the start. For the Ukrainian and Canadian national anthems from Hoosley. Yes, indeed, I I turned it on for that as well. And I admit I turned away. We're going to hear some of that coming up at 6.30. Well, you know what? Let's just, uh, let me play like 15 seconds. Just magnificent, magnificent. And after the anthems were done, I admit I turned away and uh, I put my phone down for like 15 minutes. And uh, (laughs) the two of you were going bananas on our chat. And Loren's like, this game is so good. And then a few minutes after that, it was, whoa, maybe not. (laughs) So it was an emotional journey last night for uh, for people who were there to see the anthems and for the hockey fans in attendance. I think, Greg, you were saying yesterday, or someone I read somewhere, that there's a Hoosley effect. Like, this choir, every time they perform, mm-hmm. I think the team does really well. And so this, there was this passion, you know, from the very start. Of course, there was, like, the... Ukrainian anthem and then this great ovation and and then the national uh, the, sorry the Ukrainian then the Canadian and oh, you know your emotions are all over and then we came out like on fire three goals within five minutes and I thought oh my god the Hoosley thing is is a thing it is <laughs> and a then thing. I was like wait a minute I, I don't want to jinx myself so that's how I felt yeah the Jets are in fact seven and oh according to our good friend Murat Atesh of the athletic uh, in regular season games when the Hoosley singers appear and do the national anthem. So that's quite the record that is, uh, I think, officially the Hoosley effect. So I think we should uh, get a hashtag going on that. And a shout out to Sarah Davis of TSN last night after the game. They, they played a big chunk of both the Ukrainian and Canadian national anthem on Sports Center. And Sarah Davis, the anchor, is of Ukrainian descent. And the emotions of that performance really got to her, as it did to so many people. And I, I think it's wonderful, Brett, when um, 
when people let their emotions come out, even in a situation where, you know, they're announcing she's introducing the game. She's talking about the game. That's her job, but it really got the, the most of her. And, uh, it was an absolutely beautiful thing. Well, and that reminds me of something that you shared with us a few days ago. I can't remember what day it was, but it was of the uh, Ukrainian soccer player who was substituted in. Was it uh, was it in Lisbon mm-hmm. where that happened? Yeah, it was Portugal. It's a Portugal team anyway. I don't know if it was in Portugal, but it's a Portuguese team. Okay. And and the and the player was substituted in and put the captain band on, and then the, the crowd just player. went wild. Yeah. Yeah, and then he started, and then he went out, and he was, you know, waving to the crowd, and he was appreciative of the applause, and then eventually he uh, started to well up a li- just a little bit, and you could see him trying to fight it, and then he started sort of jogging around again to try to shake it off. Um, I don't know if he comes from the Boys Don't Cry Club, but yeah, it's been uh, it's important, I think, to see that emotion and to see how this is affecting people. So we've got much to discuss on that front today, including Loren at six thirty-seven. We're going to discuss Canadians uh, heading off to Ukraine to fight. I mean, this is the thing we were saying a couple days ago. There's the Ukrainian legion that's been established to try to help and and assist Canadians or people of any country who want to get to Ukraine to be part of this uh, to get there. And so we knew this was coming, but we have a Winnipegger. We're going to share with you his story about why he's going. I was watching video yesterday at the border um, from some of our reporters. And as much as there's a steady stream of Ukrainians running, uh, you know, trying to flee Ukraine right now, there were also people walking into the country and people from all over the world who've flown to Poland or, or what have you to try to cross to go back in. It's fascinating what's going on right now in terms of the connection people are feeling and their desire to help the Ukrainian army. So we'll share more of that at 637. In about an hour, we are going to share with you the sounds of the game. And there is plenty to hear, given 12 goals were scored last night between the Winnipeg Jets and Montreal Canadiens. Eight of those goals from Winnipeg. Yeah, but I think the sound that really captivated so many fans, both at Canada Life Centre and and really those watching at home, was the sound of what happened at the start of the game. And that, of course, is when Winnipeg's own Hoosley Ukrainian male chorus stepped onto the ice and sang the Ukrainian national anthem and then the Canadian one.
Man, I watched that a bunch of times after that happened, and even now I'm getting a bit choked up listening to it. I had looked up the lyrics to the song before the game just out of curiosity, and there's so many lines in there that just really stand out for what's happening there today, like the fact one of the lines is, Ukraine is not dead, nor its glory and freedom. Luck will smile on us, brother. And uh, if you're thinking of those lyrics and then hearing those voices and then that seamless transition into the Canadian anthem and, and what it also represents to members of that choir, it was just a really special moment. Uh, we'll have more from Hoosley Choir members uh, just after 835. We're going to speak to two of them about what that meant to them, Greg. Now we want to expand a little bit more on something we've been telling you in Global News about a former goalkeeper for Winnipeg's Valor Football Club who's now showing the world what true Valor is, Greg. Yes, the 22-year-old was an emergency goalkeeper for Valor FC, a team named in honor of three men from the same street that defined Canadian courage in World War One. Here's Global's Michelle Karlenzig with more. When I woke up and uh, I saw the news and uh, I, I saw everything going on outside, it was, um, that kind of went down the, the drain quickly. Svetiak Artemenko signed his first professional European football contract last week. A day later, the 22-year-old was enlisting in the war. Artemenko and his parents emigrated from Ukraine to Winnipeg when he was a toddler. He's now traded his cleats for military boots in his hometown of Odessa. We do have a few Russian forces that, that dress up as um, regular civilians. So we try to hunt them out from the, the crowd and arrest them and uh, get some information out of them. Artemenko worked a brief stint with the Canadian military when he was 16, but football took over, leading him to Winnipeg's Valor Football Club. He called his former Valor FC coach Patrick DeStefani to tell him he was enlisting. You never expect a phone call from uh, you know, your player telling you, coach, I'm jumping in a train in five hours, I'm going to be in the front line. Like, you know, it was, um, I have to be honest with you, it was a very, um, uh, very disturbing uh, uh, phone call. Artemenko says his mother and father check in from Winnipeg every couple of hours to make sure he's okay. He says his well-being is not a concern. My safety and my health is the last thing I'm worried about right now. The first thing I'm worried about is the safety of my family members that are still currently here in Odessa. DeStephanie attests to his bravery. If I would have to gauge his, his fear is probably at one percent, and his, uh, his courage and his willingness to defend his uh, patron, his country, it's probably at ninety-nine uh, percent. Artemenko says, for now, the city of Odessa is quiet, but acknowledges that could change at any moment. Michelle Carlenzi, Global News. And you can read more on this story at cjob.com or you can go to our 680CJOB Instagram. We've linked the story there as well to a Sean O'Shea story from Global News on more Canadians volunteering to go fight for Ukraine. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thousands of Manitobans tuned in yesterday, probably thousands of Canadians, and hopefully many more around the world were able to see Husli, the Ukrainian choir, perform at the Jets game yesterday, sing the Ukrainian national anthem and the Canadian national anthem. It was an emotional, powerful moment, and I'm sure it brought many to tears. And we want to have a discussion this morning about the music 
that inspires you, that makes you emotional, whether it's a song that you listen to, maybe it's just a song that you listen to when you need some sort of a pick-me-up when you're having, you know, when you're feeling down or really down, um, or maybe it's something you've seen live, uh, whether it be in a musical or a concert, whatever. 204-780-6868, chance to win two tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park, happening March 18th to the 20th. Jeff Braun, co-host of The Couch Potatoes, let's start with you, sir. Uh, for me, it is always a Bruce. For the ones who had a notion, a notion deep inside, there ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. I want to find one face that ain't looking through me. I want to find one place. I want to spit it in the face of these guys. And it was 19 years ago at this point in uh, Calgary back in 2003. But he plays every song like it's the last song he's ever going to play. And it was just a, it was an otherworldly experience. It's by far the best concert I've ever seen. And sorry, where was that? Uh, Calgary. The Saddle Dome. The Saddle Dome. The boss. Because he won't come to Winnipeg for whatever reason. He's never been here. Oh, okay. I guess he doesn't like the River City. Cameron Pointers, what about you? Uh, well, I got to go as a little bit of modern Mozart, or what at least I call a modern Mozart, Lin-Manuel Miranda. This is the last song that made me cry. What's this from? Uh, yeah, that's uh, Breathe from uh, In the Heights. Uh, I'm a huge, I was a massive Hamilton fan, and, uh, and then actually McGarry told me to, in the Heights, uh, to, tune, to tune into that. I don't think he'd even seen it at that point. I don't know if you even still have seen it. I haven't. I, I, I listened to it, but you told me to, and this was the highlight of the whole show. Like, he's just, he's fantastic the way that he can just put a song together and uh, you connect with it, like, on a bunch of different levels. So, Lin-Manuel Miranda, thumbs up. Yeah, he, he the guy is he's a machine. He is a song making oh, machine. Uh, he had that cartoon that was on uh, Netflix. The name escapes me, uh, but some of the music in that is just magnificent. Um, yeah, I'll have to. Vivo, Vivo. Yes, there's another one. So if you haven't seen that one, Cam, put that one on your list. I will. Some good music there. Uh, Greg Mackling, what about you? Uh, it's not even close uh, for me. The best day of my life. This is Chantel Kreviazic. It's the last song that Jackie and I heard in the car as we were on our way to the hospital the morning the boys were born. And uh, I've had the good fortune to interview Chantel about this song, and she wrote this about her baby. And so there's a connection there. And I've seen Chantel perform it live just with the piano, and it gets me every time. I used to hold the boys and rock them and sing this song. You know my saying when it comes to singing, Loren, just because you can't doesn't mean you shouldn't. And this song gets me every single time. I'm sorry, what's this song called? All I Can Do Is Love You To Pieces. Excellent. Good choice, Mr. Mackling. And the way to keep it local. Covered all the bases, bud. <laughs> uh, Loren McNabb, what about you? Okay, I don't know if this will work because I am having trouble getting my music to download this morning. But I, uh, I, I love things that are like, you know, Ron picked Springsteen, for example. So, of course, there's songs that pump you up. And I always go to Garth Brooks if I'm trying to be pumped up. But I also like find that there's something sort of really therapeutic 
about just having a good cry. And when I saw Katie Lang perform Leonard Cohen, Cohen's Hallelujah, I think of the Juno Awards, I don't know, 15 yeah, years ago, 20 absolutely. years ago. This song, man, Sky, thank you. She's got it ready for me. I just, I just love it. And she's walking around on stage. I think she's barefoot. And, you know, years later, I actually got a chance to see Cohen. I've met him once years ago, like in the early 2000s, very briefly. And then I got to see him in concert in Tel Aviv, um, performing the song, too. And what they sort of, uh, well, it was just amazing. And so it's something about having a good, solid cry and a good cover, man. I, I love it. Well, it's funny. This this song is so enduring too, and it's been done, I think, probably by I don't know how many artists. And the, the song continues to be used in unexpected ways, like Jeff Braun. It was used in um, one of the teaser trailers for Zack Snyder's Justice League, and he also used it in his Watchmen movie. So that's uh, clearly one of his favorite songs. And uh, producer Sky, what about you? Um, like food, I think that the music, you know, it brings you back to a moment. Um, it's not always about like what you're eating. It's about who you were cooking with. So this is uh, Edith Piaf, La Vie en Rose, and it is my Bubby's anthem. And it just brings me back to the kitchen, eating pan crepes, her putting on her cassette, <laughs> which she still, which we still have. Yeah. And uh, just humming along, and she would close her eyes, and she would say she always tells a story, and she was French. So my French poodle. So this reminds me of my bubby. Do you, do you still play the cassette? I haven't played. I haven't even heard this song since it's been a little bit difficult. So. Well, this is lovely. Turn it up a little bit, Sky. I love the fact that it's just, you know, it sounds kind of old timey, right? It's a crackling, like a, it's almost like you're listening to a record player right yeah. now. Yeah, like sometimes when they remaster things, I don't like it. Like, ah, this is too clear now. I don't. Yeah, I, the crackling is part of of what makes it what it is. Like it's on a gramophone. And uh, my pick. Uh, normally, I, I when we talk about stuff like this, I always mention "Come From Away," the uh, the musical. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna go with something that actually Jeff Braun and I sat on a couch for at the concert hall. So we've hosted a couple of shows uh, with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. One was Star Wars versus Star Trek. This is Marvel's The Avengers theme, and uh, for Superhero Showdown. And when they, I mean, every song was awesome, but when they did this, I had such a hard time keeping it together because I was so excited to be sitting right beside the WSO as they performed this live, and uh, I definitely keep, was brought to tears, and I think I had to get Jeff to speak first because I needed to pull it together. So thank you, WSO, uh, for having us. Uh, and hopefully one day the Couch Potatoes will once again have that esteemed privilege. So at 204-780-6868, two tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park. What music moves you? What music inspires you? And if you have a story to accomplish or accompany that from some sort of a live performance or something like Producer Sky just said or everyone else just said, there's a, an emotional attachment to these songs. Tell us about it for a chance to win. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Mackling, McGarry, and the McNabb 
Did I just say the McNab? The McNab. You are the McNab. Keep it up. That's it. The McNab that should be, Company. Sorry, Loren. That should be our official street. M's. <laughs> yes. Look at that. <laughs> Coming up after Global News at eight o'clock. More on. Returning to work from home, that's our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com for credit aid struggling with debt. Call 204-987-6890, creditaid.ca. You can weigh in if you're working from home. Uh, when do you anticipate returning to work? Uh, in our next segment, we're talking about interest rate hikes and uh, Jets Wednesday coming up in just a moment. But before that, uh, at 6... 45, we talked about music that inspires us, that brings us emotion based on the Hoosley performance last night at the Jets game of the Ukrainian National Anthems and um, the Canadian National Anthems. And uh, Loren picked a song from Katie Lang. It was Hallelujah, right? Yeah. From the Junos? That's right. She sang it at the Junos, I think, in Winnipeg, actually. It's Leonard Cohen's song, but she did a wonderful cover of it. And so that was my choice. Um but I was just sharing with you guys that it wasn't the first song I was going to go with. And this text that Greg just read at 7.15 from a listener on some of her favorite songs just really floored me because it, it is just so eerie how it was similar to what I was thinking about this morning. So I was going to go with the song Nissen Dorma, the, the opera song, because I was in Montreal in September and there was a street singer performing it. And I had some things going on at the time that, you know, I was stressed about. And as soon as I heard her sing, I burst into tears because it was just so beautiful. And so I immediately took a video of her singing and sent it to my mom. And I couldn't get that video to send through our system this morning. So I was like, ah, I'll move on to the next song. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll do Danny Boy because I always remember my mom talking about her dad singing that song. He Irish Canadian and how he'd sing it with tears on his face. And so she always shared that story with us. I never even knew him. He died before I was born, but I know him through the stories my mom tells. But then I thought, you know, that's my mom's story, not mine. So I picked Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Well, then Kat texted to say her choices were Handel's Hallelujah Chorus was one of her favorite. I get that those are two different songs, very different songs, but I thought, okay, that's interesting. Then she said, Nessun Dorma never fails to put her in head to toe goose flesh, but the song that she would pick first was Danny Boy. And I thought, my God, we just had the exact same roller coaster of songs. And Greg, you said, well, maybe that, you know, someone from beyond is there for you or signals from beyond. And I, I that's why I was a bit choked up there at 7.15 while you were playing that. It's just kind of a crazy roller coaster of emotions today. Well, I just wanted to fire this while we have a moment. Because why not? So good, so good. So thank you, Kat and Gimli. Thank you, Loren <sighs> McNabb. Just a look at his face too. That yeah, oh. actually, that when you, with you just sighing there, Greg, that almost matched what he was doing on stage. It's a lot to get out. <laughs> no, and who doesn't hear that song, Greg, and and go into full opera singing at the end like that? Oh. Right? Like you're just belting it out, and you're like, you're just I can't. <laughs> Next thing you know, you feel like you're on stage with him, and you're pushing those words out oh my god don't even know what i'm saying while i'm singing that so, yep no it's uh wonderful stuff 
Jets Wednesday, South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. Winnipeg Jets return home from a four-game road trip where three of a possible eight points to face the Montreal Canadiens last night at Canada Life Center, and the Jets play three more home games through next Thursday, next Tuesday, pardon me. Yeah, last Friday night, the Jets built a 3-0 first-period lead in Colorado. They then surrendered six straight goals last night. The Jets built a 4-0 first-period lead. Pierre-Luc Dubois had a goal and two assists last night. He looked at it this way. We're on the wrong side of a comeback in Colorado. So tonight, uh, to keep going and not you know, panic too much um, feels really good. And at this point of the year, we're going to take the two points and be happy with it. And you know, we did a lot of good things tonight, so I think it's a game that we can we can use to build off. Without further ado, here are the sounds of the game. Teams will come to center ice to get it started here tonight. Buck is dropped in it. Showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Winnipeg will win the draw. Back to where the line. Beaulieu near side corner. Cross ice pass. Schmidt. Let a shot go to Buckman in front. They score! Evgeny Svechnikov has goals in three straight. Winnipeg has the first goal of the night. It's 1-0 Jets. Off the boards for Dubois. He rolls into where the corner, working against Evans. Put it back to where the line. Schmidt winds up shooting. Scores! Nate Schmidt with a blast from the point. And I think Montembeau would like that one back, but two quickies for Winnipeg, and it's 2-0 for the Jets. DeMello at center ice with some speed down the right wing boards. Out in front for Lowry, backhand shot, he scores! What a beautiful goal! Adam Lowry has scored in three straight, and it's 3-0 Winnipeg! And that's stopped by the goaltender in Montembeau. Grabbed again, down low, Dubois in front for Shankly, a shot, he scores! Mark Shankly with a howitzer of a one-timer, and it's 4-0 Winnipeg. That was even strength. It is an onslaught here at Canada Life Centre, 4-0 Jets. Snared by Neil Pionk, but he turned it over for Perot, now for Pelly, out in front for Anderson, moves in, shoots and scores! And we are tied on Josh Anderson's hat-trick. And Montreal was down 4-0. They tied it at four, and Anderson with three goals tonight. So Pitlick, a left-handed shot, will pick it up at center ice under Corsabuz. He'll move in, shoots, and it's kicked away by Alabak. Great save at a real opportune time for Connor Hellebach. Across the line, back for Neil Fion. Now for Cobb, rolls off the boards, let a shot go, he scores! What a wrist shot by Andrew Kopp. It's a power play goal. And with 2.43 left in the second, Winnipeg's regained the lead. It's 5-4 Jets. Run across the line for Shifley into where the slot swings at far side for Wheeler. Got in a little too tight. Back out in front for Shifley. A shot he scores. He banked it off to Montreal Canadiens. It's a power play goal. And Winnipeg leads it by two again at six to four. Here's Winnipeg in transition. Shifley across the line. Shifley out in front for Dubois. A shot, he scores! Here, Luke Dubois with another power play goal. And Winnipeg leads it by three again. It's 7-4 for the Jets. Baby! Down low, back out in front. Stastny, a shot, he scores! Paul Stastny with Winnipeg's fourth power play goal tonight. 
and it's 8-4, what a peg, and the Jets do indeed regain a four-goal lead. So the game itself saw three sets of four straight goals, first from the Jets, then the Canadiens, then the Jets to close things out. 8-4 final, Jets didn't gain any ground in the standings, but they didn't lose any either, still six points out of a playoff spot with now 29 games remaining, Brett. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, we're going to talk more about returning to work for those working from home. And at 8.35, we're speaking to a couple of members from Husli Ukrainian Male Chorus, who performed the Ukrainian National Anthem and the Canadian National Anthem last night at the Jets game. And that actually inspired our topic this morning. What music inspires you? Chance to win two tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park, March 18th to the 20th. And Corey, first-time texter, says... Wanted to say that almost any song that my daughter, Ella, sings is inspirational to me. Two in particular that always get to me are, one is called Omio Babino Caro. This is uh, from somebody called Kiri Tikanawa. Good Lord, if your daughter can sing you that, uh, yeah, that would be inspiring as well. How lovely is that? Uh, and it was also featured in a film called uh, From a Room with a View. And another she sings is She Used to Be Mine from the musical Waitress. Hearing these in her beautiful voice always brings me to tears. Imagine having that uh, running around the home in your life, Loren. I can't. I'm, I don't know him. I don't know his daughter. And I'm already emotional. I can't imagine if you had someone you knew who could sing like that. So that's that's amazing. Keep those texts coming because I'm learning a lot of new songs this morning too to add to the old repertoire to to induce the happy tears, as I call them. Make a playlist for yourself. Loren's uh, happy cry playlist. Yeah, you'll see me leaving work in the months ahead and I'll be bawling. I'll be, it's okay, Brett. It's just the happy, <laughs> it's the happy cry list. Question of the day for Credit Aid. Worried about your debt? Call 204-987-6890, creditaid.ca. If you've been working from home, when do you anticipate returning to your workplace? 32% say ASAP. 8% say in the next few weeks. 18% not sure yet. And 42% say never. I'm staying home. So there you go. That's a big number right now. And that's the question, right? Like, when will people come back? How many will come back? I shared some numbers after seven and, you know, like Manitoba Hydro, for example, 40% of its workers are still at home. That's more than a thousand people. Canada Life. 80%, 80%, I think the number is, is still at home, and that's several thousand people. And so, yes, people will be making their way back, but maybe not all of them. And so just after seven, we visited with the downtown biz. And to ask Kate Fenske the question, well, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? And what are your expectations based on that return to work plan and how it's playing out in other parts of the country? If you look at what uh, Ontario has announced uh, and shared just, uh, I believe, yesterday, uh, they're looking for their employees to come back at least three days a week starting April 4th. Um, so, so there is that move, and as well as the federal government is, has changed their guidelines now uh, to allow for departments to make their choices and decide what's best for them to, to start bringing employees back. Do you foresee any office space having to just shut down given the, the changing environment? We haven't heard that in our conversations, uh, both in private sector and other organizations. Folks are still committed to downtown. 
So while we have a lot of work ahead of us, um, I think, you know, when you ask, you know, is it right to be optimistic? And I think it is. Um, we do need to think a little bit differently, though, and to make that shift sort of from that central business district downtown to really a social gathering district. And so those unique experiences, we've got great arts, culture, um, and, you know, the workforce coming back will be important. But it's also about students. We know you, University of Winnipeg is committed to downtown uh, and bring those students back helps with that vibrancy as well. It's interesting to hear Kate talk about physical space and the and the fact that she doesn't anticipate any businesses leaving the downtown Altogether, we've seen it in other cities like Calgary, but you know, one example is 433 Main Street, a dramatic transformation there. That's the passport office. I think that's what people most commonly know that building as. It's undergone a massive transportation or transformation rather on the outside and on the inside. It now contains on the top floors residential units. And so, will we see a little bit more of that? Well, we see mixed use developments, buildings that have a variety of uses, not just not just office space. And then also in terms of the physical construct and the functionality of downtown, the Graham Avenue Mall as part of the new transit master plan is set to be decommissioned. They're going to be rerouting and, and buses will be moving through the downtown in a different fashion. What about one-way streets? Are there some one-way streets that could be converted to two-way streets for different parking options or maybe closed altogether for pedestrian malls? If the actual way we're visiting downtown and spending our time downtown, is this the ideal time for the city to look at some of those different things like parking, pedestrian malls, or similar? In my mind, Smith & Donald because they connect to that Midtown Bridge, might be the only two streets in the downtown between Main Street and Vaughan that need to be need to remain one-way streets. What would I curse at then as I'm cruising around downtown trying to get around less. and realizing I have you to do 97? You would curse at less. <laughs> <laughs> I like the unique downtown one-way streets where you're like, oh, right, nope, can't, nope, gotta go two more blocks, nope. Can't do you turn. Can't turn. Can't turn left. Oh, can't turn right. You could still curse at trying to find street parking. You could still curse at trying to find a spot on the street, especially now that half of them, half those spots are gone because of the bike lanes. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe joins us at nine thirty-five to discuss. The protest at the Manitoba Legislative Grounds. At 9.05, we're speaking with Global's Reggie Cicchini about the State of the Union. And we have something very special planned for you in just a moment. Before that, we are asking you to tell us about the music that inspires you. We've got two tickets up for grabs for the Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park. That's happening in a couple of weeks' time. And this listener says, The song that turns me to a sloppy Leaky Marshmallow is Love Without End, Amen, by George Strait. Always brings to mind my three kids and the love I have for them. Gets me every time choking up just typing this. If you don't know what that song sounds like, by the way, here's a snip uh, from George Strait performing it at the Astrodome. Oh, great. He said daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end, amen. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Never heard that song before. I'm kind of a puddle of 
mush over here now, too. <laughs> now, the wow. reason we are talking about this, about music that inspires you, has to do with what happened last night. And we should point out, every time the Hoosley Ukrainian male chorus sings the national anthem at the Jets game, the Jets win. That's in the regular season, just so we're clear. There's seven and O. Our friend Murata Tesh of the Athletic sharing that on his Twitter feed last night and in his article early this morning. The Jets are seven and O. We try to forget about the loss against St. Louis a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Seven and O in the regular season. It's one of the best things you'll ever see at a hockey game that doesn't inv- involve a stick puck or skates my kids last night loren were arguing about how many times and who had seen hoosley sing more often i think they uh, ended up at 3-3 because we weren't at the game last night so uh they're they're, they're even steven there and listen they had the fans waving flags fans in tears fans cheering at home and in the arena they sang first the ukrainian national anthem and then the canadian one <laughs> marshmallow over here listening to that again just tremendous stuff from the choir last night and we're so pleased to bring on now chris klopowicz he's been with the choir for 22 years he was singing with them last night good morning chris good morning and greg Udog, who has also sung with the choir at a couple different points in his life good morning greg good morning good morning thanks for having us man i have to tell you guys like all of us were saying this morning just watching that had us so emotional last night. You could feel the emotion coming off the ice and in the crowd. Chris, first with you, just what's going through your mind as you stood there last night, seeing the flag, seeing the flag on the ice, and seeing both anthems? You know, it was such an incredible experience for us individually and as a choir, you know, and, you know, huge thanks to the Winnipeg Jets and the NHL for giving us the opportunity to to show such a, a sign of uh, support and solidarity with our friends and family in Ukraine in, in these terrible times. Greg, I, I'm wondering, you know, one of the one of the reasons why we wanted to play the applause between the two songs, just because it was so overwhelming, but also the Canadian anthem, is that as I was watching that, I was thinking, what a tremendous example of all the different faces and cultures and ethnicities we have in this country. And to, to bridge those two in a night like that was incredible. 
could you describe some of the emotion that's t- attached to both those anthems for you as a Ukrainian Canadian? Um, you know, to have that opportunity yesterday was such an honor for for us as um, you know uh, a part of the representation of the Ukrainian community here in Manitoba to be able to to sing the Ukrainian national anthem, which I'm sure that many people there had never heard before. We sang it with as much pride as as we could hold in our hearts, and and you know, singing it so that God willing, this message would get you know all over the world and and to Ukraine to bolster the people's spirits there, and and the words of of the Ukrainian anthem are very powerful, and and to have the opportunity to do it in in the country that we live in here in Canada is just beyond measure you know and and to have that kind of um support love and tolerance you know from fellow canadians who you know maybe not are directly um affected by this but certainly are seeing and 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 uh, giving support now for such a, a a tremendous cause now the you mentioned the words of the anthem the lyrics of the Ukrainian anthem are particularly poignant given this Russian invasion of Ukraine and the pushback, not just from the Ukrainian people, but people who are now heading to Ukraine, including a Winnipegger, to join the fight. Chris, can you tell us about some of those lyrics, uh, the words in particular that stand out to you? Sure, I actually have a, a translation that I can read. Um, so the lyrics, when translated to English, Ukraine's glory has not yet died, nor her freedom. Upon us, my young brothers, fate shall yet smile. Our enemies will perish like dew in the morning sun, and we too shall rule brothers in our own land. Souls and bodies will lay down for our freedom, and we will show that we are part of the Cossack nation. So as you say, during these during the time of the invasion, just such poignant lyrics, such such a poetic representation of the Ukrainian spirit, to be able to share those words with everyone in the arena last night and everyone that's been that was watching on TV and is is you know I'm sure is still today watching on social media, uh, was just um, a profound and humbling moment for for us as a choir. Greg, it's Greg here, and. Um... I, I have to say this by by nature or nurture, I think most Manitobans are Ukrainian somehow, some way. <laughs> the Ukrainian culture has become such a big part of who we are as Manitobans and how we identify and how we connect with one another. I think it, it's really a powerful connection. I I've spent time volunteering at the Lviv Pavilion of Folklorama. I tried my hand at Ukrainian dancing a long, long time ago. And I'm not Ukrainian at all, but I do have a baba. And it's just mm-hmm. something that connects us so deeply uh, beyond beyond blood, Greg. It it has really, you know, become part of our fabric as, as a society here in Manitoba and in Canada. And I think that also it, it works both ways because most Ukrainian people that I know, and I know quite a few, you know, they're so grateful to live in, in, in Manitoba, in Winnipeg, in, in Canada, and to have the freedoms that we see people are not enjoying in, in every parts of the, you know, in other parts of the world. 
and and um, you, you truly see that in the expression of their culture and 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 their their involvement in the in the community as a whole I need to um, I'm, I'm curious you know, I said we were all emotional listening to that, emotional listening to it again. And I was looking at the faces of the different men in your choir last night and seeing smiles, also seeing, you know, that stern look to, to, to get the job done. And so, Chris, I'm curious, as you're singing those anthems, I, I know you have loved ones, family and friends back in Ukraine. It's not just the emotion of the songs. There's there's very real people attached to these images of the Russian invasion. Who were you thinking of last night? Definitely, first and foremost, uh, in my mind and in my heart last night, thinking about my family in Ukraine and my wife's family in Ukraine that we have been doing our best to remain in contact with and just the the absolute heartbreaking and heart-wrenching stories that we're hearing through the media and, and you know, directly from family, um, to be able to try to, in, in our way as a choir, um, send that love, send that support, send that message of solidarity uh, it was a very, uh, personally, a very uh, emotional and, and moving experience last night. It was an emotional and moving experience for all who got to see it, to hear it, to witness it, and to feel it. And we, uh, we, I think I can speak for Greg and Loren and for anybody who heard it. Uh, we thank you for the gift that you bestowed upon the world yesterday. And, and I uh, echo your sentiment. I hope that message does make its way all the way home. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. And, Greg, thank you as well. Thank you so much. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren, who are we talking to at 9.35? We're going to talk to the chief of police for the Winnipeg Police Service. Uh, those protests, it was just a week ago that protesters basically cleared out of the area in front of the legislative building. Well... We know that there are still questions about mandates that exist for many people and, of course, questions about how those protests were handled. So we're going to pose some of our questions, your questions, to Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe at 935. Yeah, there's still a handful there at Memorial Park. I saw mm-hmm. them yesterday. They're building some sort of a, like a shed kind of uh, structure, um, and they have a couple of piles of firewood, but, uh, you know, they're not bothering anybody while they're there. So uh, we'll have some questions for the Chief coming up at 935. And in our next segment, we're giving away... The two tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park, based on the music that inspires you. We've had so many wonderful stories this morning, and I think we've got our winner, but this is your last chance to tell us a story for your chance to win. The U.S. continues to remain firm. It will not, not send military troops into Ukraine to help in the ongoing invasion by Russia. With President... Sorry, go ahead, Loren. No, go for it. I uh, just interrupted for no reason. Apologies. (laughs) Uh, So with with President Joe Biden saying he would not risk starting another war. You have two options. Start a third world war, go to war with Russia physically, or two, um, make sure that uh, a country that acts so contrary to international law ends up paying a price for having done it. Last night, Biden delivered his first State of the Union address. While the American economy and recovery were part of the address, Ukraine and the Russian invasion were top of mind. The United States Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs. 
We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for your ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. Reggie Cicchini is, of course, our correspondent in Washington, D.C. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So is Joe Biden receiving more pressure to take stronger action against Russia or pressure to do less? So, look, uh, it's kind of it's two different stories here. He had been uh, under pressure to do more from the very beginning. Republicans had come out to say that sanctions should have been proactive and not reactive on Russia. But now with the pressure that the president is putting on the Kremlin, whether it has to do uh, with airspace or, or going after oligarchs or putting more pressure uh, on their economy uh, by really cutting it off from Western financial markets, he is receiving kind of a broad bipartisan support now, including senior leaders within the Republican Party in the Senate who are signaling support for how the White House is moving forward. He's still receiving some criticism, but this is more a broad bipartisan support for how the U.S. is moving forward. And that, and that's critical, I think, Reggie. And that, that's my opinion. I think most Americans would uh, would agree that, that unity in, in the face of these sorts of situations is critical. What other options does the United States have with regard to the war in Ukraine? Have we seen everything that they're prepared to do already? Uh, no, I mean, look, the sanctions have uh, kind of an endless structure to them, uh, and there is still an opportunity here for the United States to go after uh, exports from Russia, namely in the energy sector and really pointing towards oil. The United States has not put any kind of sanctions on oil exports from Russia, understanding that there would be uh, an almost immediate or if not near immediate impact uh, on the U.S. Uh, energy sector. Uh, and, and, you know, the president is trying to fight off, uh, you know, inflation and, and criticism that Republicans have been laying inflation problems on the president's shoulder, even though that's kind of a misguided reality. Uh, but he has he has said that that's not off the table. Uh, and that's why he used this domestic speech last night and layered it on top with foreign policy to tell Americans, look, there may be some short term pains that we have to suffer. But that is the price of democracy and protecting democracy. Now, the economy, of course, remains a focus for the president. What did Americans hear last night to help ease concerns over inflation and energy security? So, look, the president laid clear uh, in his comments to uh, the Americans that he's going to do what he can to deal with inflation around the country. They're going to unlock uh, uh, reserves when it comes to fuel to try and bring the price of gas down, because this is criticism that he has been receiving uh, kind of broadly around the country, uh, that Americans are facing higher uh, uh, higher bills uh, and uh, you know, difficulty in affordability, uh, also announcing things like tax credits for energy. Republicans are pushing back, saying, look, this is not going to do anything. This is simply going to add more to the dead. It's going to add more uh, to the costs for the average American. But again, Democrats and the president are trying to push back to say, look, inflation is not all my fault. COVID has played a part in this. Russia has played a part in this. And we're all you know, trying to deal with this as best we can. Reggie, lots of uh, use of the words America, 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 America first on a lot of fronts. And so is there concern there for Canada in terms of the relationship that's been created with NAFTA and other manufacturing programs and, and partnerships over the years, do you see America or did it sound last night like the United States is going to be uh, closing its doors to trade in the, in the future? 
I, I don't think so. Uh, I think we have to remember that a State of the Union address, uh, well, yes, it dealt with foreign policy because of the, this dark shadow uh, in Ukraine and Russia that's kind of hanging over the world right now. This is an address to uh, the country to reflect on the president's first year uh, and to use the evergreen phrase of the best is yet to come. Uh, the United States and Canada has a long and lengthy, sometimes turbulent relationship when it comes to trade. I don't think either are going to shut each other out. Uh, but I think that the president is understanding right now that his economy uh, is is in turmoil, much like the rest of the world, that he needs to do what he can to ensure that the United States economy continues to chug along, because without it, the rest of the world can't feel the pinch. Is Canada going to be impacted by that? We'll have to wait and see what comes out uh, of policy, domestic and, and international policy when it comes to trade in the months and years down the road. But ultimately, the United States is saying, look, the United States is important. It is strong. It's not shutting out its allies, as we're seeing with Ukraine. But ultimately, this was a speech to Americans to say, look, it might be bad. It's going to get better. Global's Reggie Cicchini, pardon me, Reggie Cicchini, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much, Reggie. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the music that inspires you. I think anybody who saw the Jets game, who listened to the Jets game on 680 CJOB and heard... Hoosley, the Ukrainian male chorus, performed not just the Canadian national anthem, but the Ukrainian national anthem as well. Uh, if that didn't inspire you, then you don't live on the same planet <laughs> as I do, because I, I was moved to tears, and I think many of us were moved to tears as well. So we're asking you about the music that inspires you. So we uh, have, are giving away two tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin show at Red River Exhibition Park. Loren's going to read our winning text. Greg, the one of the runners-up. Although, Greg, I'm surprised you didn't go for Chris's text as the, the winner, the ultimate winner here. Chris says, <laughs> Everlong by the Foo Fighters has to yeah. be the most beautifully written song in the world. I have a few lines from that song in my vows to my wife when we got married, and it brings a tear to my eye every time I read or hear the song lyrics. You got to promise not to stop when I say when. Magical, says Chris. And here's something magical. Some Everlong from 2008 at Wembley Stadium. Last song ever played on David Letterman's show. The goodbye song from David Letterman. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh, didn't they cancel a tour? They were they were in Europe, I think, when he when he requested that. They came home for that to perform on the final show. Yeah, they did. Oh, such a wonderful show. Can't wait to see them again in September. Man, there's I'm looking at the lyrics of that song. I don't think I've really like you sing along, but sometimes you're not, you know feel it the same way and then you read it and you think wow that that's some pretty powerful lyrics yeah exactly. got to promise not to stop when i say when huh. and it's also lovely when they do uh acoustic too actually that, yes. that same wembley performance it was predominantly acoustic and then they brought in the full band right at the end uh but uh gmac what's next my husband who passed eight years ago was an amazing singer guitar player this from one of our listeners anyone that heard him wanted more and if you requested a song most times he knew it or would learn it for next time. He played each summer at the White Walled Emporium. That's just south of Winnipeg Beach. Neat spot, by the way. Uh, on one of those warm summer nights, he played Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen. 
and the place sat in complete silence. It brought many people to tears, and one woman was so touched, she came up to him hugging and crying and almost jumping on his lap. Wasn't sure if I would see my husband again. <laughs> Her son now follows in his footsteps and is an amazing, is as amazing as his dad. P.S. Uh, Jeff Forche would know my wonderful husband, Marshall, and son, Sam. They played together. Thanks so much for this. That's neat. But uh, Loren, take us home with our winner, Peter. Peter says, My song is The Rose by Bette Midler. It was the second or third date that me and my wife were on, and I had just reached across the armrest of my car and took her hand in my hand. We were coming back from Falcon Lake. The highway was dark, and the song came on the radio. The meaning for us was that the rose blooms from the depths of a bleak and cold winter. We can all relate to that right now, he says, into something beautiful. Our relationship bloomed, married, three lovely daughters, and now four fantastic grandchildren. This will be our 36th anniversary this year. We redid our vows, the exact same ones on our 25th, with the girls as our attendants. Just like the rose, our marriage continues to bloom every year. Well, shucks, Peter. Peter! You're killing me! Damn you, Peter! Try it again! <laughs> Congratulations, Peter, and thanks. Thank you to all uh, who weighed in this morning. It was, uh, it was really, really good stuff. So we appreciate it. And uh, you, Peter gets the tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show, Red River Exhibition Park, March 18th to the 20th. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Uh, just very quickly here, Loren, we were speaking earlier today to Global's Ann Gaviola about a possible rate hike coming, and I understand the Bank of Canada has pulled that uh, trigger? Yeah, so they've raised it 25 basis points, so it's going to 0.5%, and this is, of course, they say, in a bid to help fight inflation, which is at its highest level since 1991, so that interest rate is up. The first hike we've seen in a couple of years since the pandemic. So we'll have the more on what that means, what kind of help that might do for inflation, but also maybe the fallout or the hit to your mortgage. Lots more coming up on this throughout the day. There have been smaller convoys and rolling protests against vaccine mandates over the past couple of days. But the group that camped outside the legislature for a couple of weeks last month are largely gone. Yeah, so of course, there are still questions about mandates that remain and questions about how the protests were handled. As far as some are concerned, particularly maybe people who live and work in the downtown, that push to clear the area came far too late. Chief Danny Smythe joins us now to answer some of our questions, your questions. Good morning, Chief. Good morning. So one of the criticisms, and I know you heard this, was that police weren't acting more quickly because many of your officers perhaps supported the protest or maybe the cause. What do you say to that? I think that's a misrepresentation of what was occurring with our officers down there. We we certainly had a presence down there throughout the uh, protest, but uh, we had liaison teams that were there to work uh, and build a relationship with the protesters and to try to negotiate with them and influence them to... um, you know, really take seriously some of the issues that were causing conflict uh, down at the site. Chief Smythe, there's a perception that those conversations were lengthier, more in-depth than you might have had with other protesters in recent past or maybe in the the distant path. How common are those discussions and those interactions 
amongst protesters, really no matter the size or the uh, type of protest? It, it's a pretty standard approach now for Canadian police agencies across the country. We kind of use a national framework for police preparedness on demonstrations and assemblies, but it, it starts with the use of liaison teams to try to reach out to protest organizers so that uh, everybody understands their rights, everybody understands the limitations, and certainly that we have the opportunity to work on issues that, that are upsetting the community. So in this case, there, there were three main issues that we wanted to kind of work with on. Is, uh, traffic flow was important, uh, particularly along Broadway. The size of the footprint there, and, and we largely kept that to that Memorial Boulevard Park area. And then, of course, the noise, which was ultimately the biggest issue that, that we needed to confront and, and try to negotiate with the organizers to mitigate uh, some of the things that they were doing. Well, as far as that noise is concerned, uh, we've had truckers tell us that they can get be ticketed for honking their horns in the city limits unless absolutely necessary. So can you just first confirm, is that correct? Is it is it illegal for them to honk their horn in the city? Well, it's not illegal to honk their horn in the city, but it's, uh, you know, it's contrary to the Highway Traffic Act to use their horn for no purpose. So, that, you know, that is an offense under the Highway Traffic Act. Okay, so then why were they allowed to honk their horns for five days? Dozens of them. I mean, a, a, a nuanced situation here where we were dealing with a protest with, at times, upwards of a thousand people. Um, you know, we were able to work with organizers to to mitigate that to some degree, and we, we saw some success with that, and, and uh, we saw them change their tactics as, as the protest went on. So... You know, the first couple of days were truly terrible, uh, terrible for the community, terrible for anyone that had to work or live. Five days. There. Five. Just want to make that clear. It was five days. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't have the brief in front of me right now, but you're right. So we negotiated with them to try to pull back on that. And we saw sufficient progress in that that, that made it worthwhile to keep negotiating. You know, I think what people... Um, misunderstand when we go into enforce once you go you're going all the way so uh, it's not a question of laying tickets on people it, it would quickly escalate to a use of force situation um, you know it, it, into a, a situation that would um, you know, just it, it, it wouldn't warrant what we were dealing with at the time to go in uh, heavy-handed right at the front end Chief Smythe, sorry to interrupt here, guys, but why wouldn't the first step to be contravention of the Highway Traffic Act, why wouldn't the first steps be illegal parking, uh, illegal assembly? Like, At what point does a parade or a protest become a blockade or an encampment or something that crosses the line from being within our legal rights to something that's no longer within our legal rights to do or to be? So these situations are are fluid, no question about it, and things don't always start as a blockade. I haven't been to a protest yet where, you know, um, traffic doesn't get disrupted, uh, regardless of the cause, regardless whether it's a celebration down on Portage in Maine or, or a march uh, up Main Street, it these things disrupt traffic. So 
We allow for that. Uh, we use our discretion in some of that at the front end, uh, you know, uh, allowing, uh, you know, breaches to the HDA and breaches to bylaws sometimes to allow people to assemble and have their voice heard. It's a, it's a fine line when something turns into a blockade or, or an occupation uh, or an encampment. These are not new situations for us. We have encountered them in the past. I'm sure we'll encounter them in the future. Um, you know, other events that we've managed have gone longer than what we just managed here in front of the ledge. Given that, you know, you're out speaking to us today, Chief Danny Smythe, and for those just joining us, we're speaking to Winnipeg Police Service Chief Danny Smythe on the protests and how they were handled. Uh, an article was posted in Substack last night about, you know, the management of the situation. You're talking to us today and speaking to other media as well. Uh, obviously, you've heard the criticism, so I'm curious if this might change in the future. Would you change your tactics going forward? Have you learned something from this in terms of how it was handled, because there are people who might say, look, a precedent has been sent. Now now we're going to see all sorts of blockades that last for days, weeks, maybe even months on end. So a couple of things there. I, I think the national framework that's been developed through the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police is a, is a good one. And it's one that police have been following for, for years now. Uh, and it doesn't start with use of force. It, it starts with trying to um, build a relationship and negotiate with people to resolve these situations peacefully. Uh, I, I think people expect that. They don't expect us to go in heavy-handed with use of force and mass arrest right off the bat. So I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I would say that one of the things that we encountered, and, and I just say we learn something from every protest that we deal with. They're all unique particularly the bigger ones. And I, I think what was really unique about this one was the way that large trucks and farm equipment, uh, you know, were used. Uh, you know, I, I really think police will adapt to that in the future. I wouldn't even be surprised if there was some kind of legislation that came out of this as a result that, you know, I, I, I think steps will be taken to make sure that this kind of equipment can't be used like this in the future. Uh, you know, in, in my time, I've never actually seen uh, protests used, uh, use their equipment in the same way that we just witnessed across the country here. Chief Smythe, will uh, unvaccinated officers be allowed to go back to work anytime soon? Uh, yeah, we'll be following the same uh, rules as everyone else. And, uh, uh, you know, I expect that... Once uh, the rules change here in the province, we will adapt as well for testing and, and for people to return to the workplace. You know, in the lead up to this protest, Chief, there was a, that state of emergency declared by the service, uh, all sorts of questions just, just about police resources. I know that state of emergency has ended. Are we back to normal? And I'm putting that word in quotes, like, do we have enough staff? What are call volumes like? Do you have any latest data on just what things look like out there with the job at, at hand. Yeah, I, I was pleased with the way our uh, people rallied to to meet the the staffing strains that we had at the beginning. So when I called that emergency, it was really just signaling the beginning of our business continuity plan. We have plans to be able to adapt when there is strains on our staffing. Uh, a couple of things that really helped for us, we had a recruit class that was just finishing its 
training, uh, and we were able to expedite their training a little bit to get an extra 40 officers out on the road. That made a big difference. Uh, and then we also had a number of uh, our community support units and officers that just volunteered to work extra shifts to fill the gaps that were there. So we never had to go past sort of the phase one of our business continuity plan. We weathered most of January, and uh, you know our sick rates uh, fell off uh, almost to normal levels, not quite there yet, but certainly not the kind of strains that I was witnessing at the beginning of January. And then as far as morale goes, I mean, that's been an issue in months past. Uh, and we just had a, we were all sort of stunned by the uh, news release that came out uh, a couple of days ago that had a huge list of, of items. So officers clearly very busy. What are you hearing from officers? Well, you know, I mean, we're always concerned about the wellness of our officers. They're under, uh, you know, a, an awful lot of pressure to deal with what's going on in the city. Uh, you know, a lot of the focus has been on the protest in the last few weeks, but, you know, I think we just had our eighth murder here, uh, which is setting a pace that I, I haven't seen in my time. Um, so there's lots happening. Our, our members are responding quite well. Um, you know, we've, we've shored up a little bit of our uh, behavioral health unit to help our members uh, cope with the stress that, that's going on about them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're doing our best to look after their well-being. I think we got time for one more question, if you want, Loren. I just was curious, what's the cost of protests these days, Chief, in terms of not just this one that we saw, but we've, we've had all sorts of protests in the past couple of years on a wide range of issues. Is, are, are the costs adding up? So a couple of things that we'll see come out of this. Um, you know, I'll be releasing our business plan in front of the board on Friday, and you'll actually see uh, assemblies and protests listed right in our uh, business plan this year. You're right, we are seeing probably a tenfold increase in uh, marches and protests from just a few years ago. I think in 2021, we, we managed over 185 events, whereas normal, in a normal year, you know, when I first started as chief in 2016, we maybe managed a dozen, 20 at the most. So almost a tenfold increase. Um, there are costs associated to it. Uh, you know, I can tell you, uh, with the protest we just managed, there's probably just over a hundred thousand in overtime that was required to have that presence down on the ledge. So, it was reasonable compared to some other jurisdictions, but um, certainly uh, you know, some overtime was required to to manage that. Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe joining us live on 680 CJOB. Chief Smythe, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.